Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for attending today. And uh, our goal is to get to as many facts as possible about what is going on on the southern border and to get to as many questions as, as we can in the time that we have. So let me ask our panel to, to join me on the screen. Uh, and uh, while, they're, while they're turning on their cameras, uh, let me just very quickly introduce uh, Congressman Tom McClintock, who's the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Immigration and Citizenship on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, Ken Paxton, the Honorable Ken Paxton, Attorney General from Texas, who I believe whose state has more border with uh, Mexico than any other state in the United States. And, uh, and my good buddy, Gene Hamilton, who had served both in the Justice and Homeland Security Departments um, in the Trump administration. So gentlemen, thank you. Between the three of you, I don't think we could have asked for uh, a more qualified team to really hit on all these um, key issues. So I'm gonna start with a round of questions that I hope will frame the rest of our, our discussion. And I, I'd like to go to you first, Attorney General. Tell us what is going on on the US border with Mexico today. Well, it's hard to really explain because we've been here before under President Obama, where we had a massive influx of immigrants because they, they generally just opened the border. They didn't enforce the laws, they encouraged border security not to do their job. And then President Trump came in, he changed the narrative and, and basically suggested to, to people coming from our southern border that you can't get in. We're building a wall, you shouldn't come. If you do come, you're gonna stay in Mexico. Border security is going to enforce the law. And for some unknown reason, because of that work, President Biden decided to go back to the model that didn't work and we're back in, even a worse position than we were because people are just flooding in from all over. But now, on top of all the issues that we, we had before with human trafficking and drug trafficking and other crimes, now we've got COVID issues with people coming across the border that have uh, that are positive for COVID and they're being confined in large group and small areas where it's much more easy to spread. So let me ask you, what in your mind are the concerns from your level that, that, that worry you the most about this particular border crisis? You know, I think it's the, the main thing that I'm concerned about is just crime and the spread of disease. I think it's been uh, proven from past that, that we've had a, a spreading of, of human trafficking and drug trafficking. These cartels are the ones that are bringing people in and out and they're, they're effective at this point. So Gene, let me let me ask you a question. Um, so we look, we know it's a crisis, right? Under the Obama administration, when Jay Johnson was Secretary of Homeland Security, he said that this was there that a thousand people crossing a day were a crisis. I, I think we're pretty confident that the number of crossings a day is at six thousand or more. So let's let's put aside the argument whether it's a crisis or not. It is. But, but one of the things that we've heard from this administration is they think it's Trump's fault. So somebody who's served in the, in the Trump administration and seen the different policies, 
that Trump put in place and the policies that Biden uh, has, the President Biden has in place. Let me let me ask you candidly, you know, whose whose fault is this, and and why? Well, thank you for the great question. It's uh, I think no shocker for me to say that I think it is solely the fault of the Biden administration. And I think it's because they failed to accept some basic facts about illegal immigration that seem to be common sense to most people. Number one, walls work. If you have more walls, you have less illegal entries. If you have less walls, you have more illegal entries. I think the second point uh, to make is that more illegal entries that are successful lead to more illegal entries that are successful. People talk, people call their family members, they call back home to Guatemala, to Honduras, to El Salvador, and they say, hey, look, I made it. I made it to Maryland. I made it to Virginia. I'm here. Life is great. Um, and that encourages more people to repeat that same kind of behavior. I think another basic fact that they refuse to accept is that not everyone coming here is an asylum seeker. In fact, the vast majority are not actually seeking asylum. They may be fleeing persecution uh, from generalized, or they may be fleeing generalized violence. They may be seeking economic prosperity in the United States, but they're certainly not seeking asylum. And that leads to another point that they basically do not accept as fact, which is that most of the asylum claims do not get granted. So not only are most of these people not asylum seekers, but the claims that do get submitted, the overwhelming majority do not get approved. Two more points. Coming into the country unlawfully is a federal crime. It makes no difference whether your intent is to seek asylum or whether it's to come in and just come in the United States and work. It's a federal crime and people have to be uh, reminded of that on a regular basis if they hope to have any kind of deterrent effect at the border. The last point that the Biden administration doesn't seem to grasp and doesn't seem to understand is that if you do not remove people at the end of their process, at the end of any immigration court proceeding, you undermine the integrity of the entire system. And that is exactly what is going to happen with the apprehensions that we're seeing at the border right now that aren't being expelled under Title 42. They've erased MPP and the, the program that required people to wait in Mexico for their court hearings. They have no plans in place to remove any of the people who they're apprehending today. And so we are going to see tens of thousands of more people coming to the United States unlawfully as a result of their policies. So let me um, ask you to unpack that a little. Uh, so clearly the administration, the different policies, one of the things that we did at Heritage is we put out a list of these are the Trump policies and these are the ones that repealed or changed. And I don't know if we can, can add that into the, into the chat box there, the, the link um, to that list. But of the changes, uh, and, and arguably, one of the things that the changes do is they essentially give a roadmap to human traffickers are these are the best venues to exploit, to get into the United States and remain in the United States. So it's almost like you're telegraphing to them how to game or beat the system. So let me, let me ask you as a follow-up, which, which changes do you think create the most opportunity for the cartels and the smugglers to recruit new people into the United States? What's most attractive? 
I think the number one change was eliminating uh, the migrant protection protocols, the program otherwise known as Remain in Mexico. If a smuggler or um, a human trafficking cartel is able to communicate to a potential person coming from Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador, or elsewhere, that they will be successful if they come to the United States, if they bring a child with them, and that will allow them to obtain entry into the United States, that is the number one thing that people care about. That is the number one selling point. With Remain in Mexico, we had a, a program where people were allowed to pr uh, present their claims. Uh, they were allowed to have their due process. They just simply waited in Mexico while that process occurred. Mind you, a country that they were just willingly in on their journey up to the United States. Eliminating that program created a huge magnet, a huge pull factor uh, for smugglers to be able to start targeting the populations for whom the administration has the most difficulty removing, and that's people who come with children. Right, so, so you're basically saying that gaming the asylum refugee claim system creates a huge gap that the, that it, rather than being a humanitarian gesture, what you're really doing is you're telling the coyotes and the smugglers how to beat the system. And that so the program that the Trump administration had in place, which is MPP program, which was essentially remain in Mexico, that was you would you would remain in Mexico and your claim would be processed. Now, you know the numbers, so correct me if I get them wrong. So I understand that the average and it's the same people, right, adjudicating the claims. Like if whether you're coming from a war-torn country or you're coming from uh, Mexico, it's the same people that look at the paperwork and make the determination that the normal rate of approval for an asylum from the United States is somewhere between 20 and 30%, and that the approval rate of the people that were in remain in Mexico was like one or 2%, which to me suggests that the overwhelming number of claims in Mexico weren't valid. They were really just economic migrants that were making a refugee claim. Is, does that, do those numbers sound right to you? Those numbers do generally sound right. I mean, if you take a global average and you include all of the asylum claims, including from nationals of, of China and of other countries where we know that persecution uh, does occur uh, and that do present uh, from time to time valid asylum claims, the, the global average is somewhere around 20%. If you drill down by nationality, the claims originating out of uh, Central America they vary from year to year, but it's usually somewhere between 12 and 16% approval rates. Um, and with MPP, we saw even fewer cases getting approved. And that's not because, uh, it's not because MPP was a system that was created in a manner that was designed for people's claims to fail. It was simply the fact that many people gave up. They knew that the game was over. They weren't gonna gain access to the United States and they didn't have an asylum claim to begin with which goes back to one of my original points, not everybody coming to the United States unlawfully is an asylum seeker. Yeah, and I guess, and I guess it makes the point that in some ways that system is, is more humanitarian because you're cleaning the system out of the false claims so you can actually focus on the people that are truly deserving. So before I turn to the Congress, let me ask you one other uh, loophole, which is you know, this whole issue of unaccompanied minors, um, so what what concerns does that raise? Uh, you're well, looking at me? Uh, Congressman, let me, uh, let me get Gene first and then, and then we'll, we'll pull you in. It, well, it raises a lot of uh, 
totally valid and legitimate concerns. One of those concerns is, of course, the exploitation of children. People who are going to put their children in the hands of a smuggler to be brought a thousand miles or more up to the United States border and then released maybe to some kind of family member who's already in the United States, many times unlawfully, uh, it puts the United States government in the position, once they get to the United States, of completing a criminal conspiracy, of completing a smuggling conspiracy that often originated with the sponsoring relative or parent who was already in the United States. So that's one concern. But another concern that is relates to one of the other points I made earlier is there is no plan to remove any of these people once they get here, period. They can have their claims denied, they can, uh, they can make their claims, they can have their day in court, but when they receive a judge's order that says it is time for you to leave, no one in the Biden administration is going to order anyone to go pick up somebody and deport them from the United States. It's just not going to happen. And so that undermines the integrity of the entire system. I listened to President Biden's uh, press conference earlier today and a reporter asked him um, about a child, a nine-year-old boy, uh, who she had met at the border uh, a day or two ago. And they talked to the mother and the mother said she sent for him to, to go to the United States because she thought that Biden would not deport him. It, it, it's, it's kind of self-explanatory, but it's there are, the UAC program in particular um, is a massive gaping issue that this country needs to take on, it needs to address. And, and, and when they say unaccompanied children, the, the Biden and the sector, they constantly talk about like a six-year-old or seven-year-old wandering the desert, but isn't it true that the vast majority of the children are actually young adults? Well, that's correct. And that was another point that, uh, to his credit, President Biden made repeatedly today at his press conference that around 75% of the UAC who are apprehended or encountered at the Southwest border are at least age 16 and higher. They are coming here, they, they've completed whatever education they're going to complete back home, and they are coming here to work. Um, and that, that is the overwhelming majority of that population. So, uh, Congressman, um... You, you unfortunately get the cheap shot question. I'm sorry. It's just you're a member of Congress, so you have to get that. I promise you I will come back and ask you a good juicy question later. So um, uh, uh, General Paxton has laid out what is going on at the border today. Um, Gene has told us why it's happening. Um, I guess the question then is, we know what the administration is doing about it. What is Congress thinking, doing, what, what will it do uh, about it? Well, what it is doing and what it should do are diametrically uh, opposed things. Uh, uh, what it is doing is amplifying the message that if you come to America, you will be uh, uh, allowed admittance and you, you can stay indefinitely. And in fact, you can be placed on a uh, short path to citizenship. Uh, those were the two bills that uh, were passed out of the House of Representatives uh, this past uh, a week or two ago. Um, uh, one of, and, and, and together, they would legalize well over 4 million illegal immigrants already in the country. Uh, that includes anyone who can claim that they arrived prior to uh, January 1st 
uh, and were under 19 and only only had two misdemeanor convictions. Um, uh, how uh, do we document that? Well, uh, they can have a friend vouch for them. That's good enough. Uh, that gets them um, uh, automatic legalization. Uh, on the uh, agricultural front, uh, all you have to do is have a friend vouch uh, that you've worked the equivalent of uh, 13 40-hour weeks in each of the last two years, total of a thousand some odd hours over those two years, you're given immediate legal status. Now, by the way, if you, if you obeyed all the laws, you're out of luck. But if you broke our laws uh, and uh, have a friend vouch for you, uh, you get immediate legal status uh, for the next five and a half years, as long as you work 535 hours a year in agriculture, uh, in five years, you will qualify for a green card. All of your family members will qualify for green cards. You'll be placed on a five-year path to citizenship. And of course, those green cards mean you don't have to stay in agriculture. You can compete against American labor in any sector of the economy. That's what we're doing, and it continues to send a very powerful message that all you have to do is cross our border and then wait for the next amnesty uh, because the Congress is constantly passing these amnesty bills. That's what we are doing. Obviously, um, under our constitution, the enforcement of our laws depends on the president. That's why he's commanded to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Trump did exactly that. He secured our borders for the first time in a generation. It took Joe Biden just a few hours to undo all of that, as Gene has outlined. And I've often said that the, the only thing really wrong with our immigration laws is they're not being enforced. Uh, and the fact is, without enforcement, our immigration laws mean nothing. If our immigration laws mean nothing, our borders mean nothing. And if our borders mean nothing, then we cease to be a country and instead become a, a vast international territory between Canada and Mexico. Now, in the Congress, while we're in the minority, all we can do is try and get in the Democrats' way and try to awaken the country to the collapse uh, of our borders. Uh, every American needs to clearly understand what this means to their lives and their families and their communities and their futures. Their schools are being inundated by non-English speaking students, the emergency rooms being packed with illegals demanding care, um, criminal illegal aliens being uh, released onto their streets rather than deported, and, and of course the constant downward pressure on working class wages uh, that this constant and continuing flood of illegal labor poses. Once we take the majority, well, we better get busy. You know, we came very close to 115th Congress uh, to passing um, uh, the uh, Goodlatte bill, which combined things like uh, legalization for the, doc, the documented DACA participants, uh, along with uh, completing the border will, a wall, uh, mandating uh, E-Verify. Uh, I think we need to go farther than that. We need to increase penalties for hiring illegals. We need to forbid citizenship to those who, who've broken our immigration laws. Uh, we need to defund the sanctuary cities and states. We need to uh, uh, deny entry uh, to asylum claimants if they pass through other countries. Uh, we need to, to uh, institute visa over uh, state tracking. There's a lot of additional things that we need to do. What frustrates me the most is when we had the majority and we had a president willing to sign it, it was a complete collapse of leadership under Paul Ryan that prevented that from passing the House. I am absolutely convinced um, that if, if the leadership had not offered an alternative for those who were in the thrall of the agricultural interests, 
uh, we would have gotten that bill passed out of the House. And it, it, it is one of the great tragedies of our, our nation's recent history uh, that that failed to happen because of a lack of, of leadership. I won't mention names, but his initials are Paul Ryan. I just want to make sure I understand that. So, so we can debate the things we could do to make the system work. But what you're telling me is right now, Congress is fixated on passing bills which would establish amnesties, which are then an incentive for more illegal immigration. Is that exactly right? And, and again, um, uh, deeds are so much more important than words. I don't believe that this was an accident by the administration. The administration's deeds made very clear. Uh, to every one of these uh, illegal immigrants flooding our borders, uh, uh, that the moment they cross the border, they'll be admitted, and most of them are. Um, we had 100,000 uh, encounters with the Border Patrol in February, 100,000. That's the entire population of um, South Bend, Indiana, or Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, 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 children get automatic entry. Uh, and when we say children, as you pointed out, that's not only people who are up to 18 years old, that's people well over 18 who are claiming they are under 18 years old. All of them get admittance. Um, uh, uh, the, just the number that we're holding right now, pending release into this country, is the uh, entire population of Truckee, California. So Gene, I'm gonna come back to you in a, in a little bit and ask you to project what's both the numbers of illegal crossings that you think will happen and also the number of people that will be allowed to stay, and also and also extend that to look at the overstay issue. But before I do that, Congressman, I want to ask you the same question I asked Ken, and then I'm going to come back to Ken and ask a question. What are your of all the stuff that's going on on the border now and with not enforcing immigration laws? What are your top concerns? What what things worry you the most? Well, the collapse of our border means the collapse of our country. And again, this is all quite deliberate. I mean, if you listen to what the Democrats have been saying in response to this unexpectedly large uh, incursion on our border is, don't come now, don't come yet. Uh, we're preparing additional processing facilities. Uh, none of that is designed uh, to secure our borders. It is all designed to infuse this population as rapidly as possible. Um, uh, Gallup warned that I think 45 uh, uh, million people uh, would like to come to this country. That's probably a low number. And with a, a border that doesn't exist, they will. Um, uh, they're coming now because it works. Uh, and ultimately, it's very clear what the plan is. Uh, uh, they, the Democrats know they've lost the uh, support of the American people. Uh, their only chance for hanging on to power is to, to encourage an impoverished, dependent, uneducated population with no attachment to American principles to enter the country and to be uh, uh, given the vote as rapidly as possible. That is their plan. They've made that graphically clear from the start. Uh, we ought to believe them. I just, just underscore that point. So we have an administration whose idea of fixing the problem, the way you've described it, and if any, please disagree if anybody disagrees with that is, to create a, an orderly process of illegal immigration. That's their idea of a fix. And there's yeah. no discussion of any of the issues you raised. How are you dealing with the COVID that we're reporting? How are you dealing with the, the $14 million a day that you're dumping into the cartels? How are you dealing with the people who are coming here to compete for jobs? Um, how are you dealing with the national security interests at the border? How do you restore the sovereignty of the border? Um, that's, that's really stunning. So Attorney General, I'd like to turn back to you because 
Texas, as Texas does, never just lies down and takes it. So could you talk for just a bit about some of the things that you are doing in your state uh, to try to address some of these issues? So it's immensely frustrating because under Supreme Court precedent, we're supposedly not given a lot of latitude to deal with illegal immigration. It's, it's, on, it's on Congress, it's on the federal government to deal with it. And unfortunately, as we can see, that's not happening and we have to suffer the consequences both from a health standpoint, from a crime standpoint, from a cost standpoint, it's all put on us. The federal government doesn't step in and help us. We are sending resources to the border, but they are limited in enforcing state law. We can't stop people from coming across the border if the Biden administration is gonna just let them. So with that knowledge, we've filed a lawsuit, as you probably well know, uh, very shortly into the Biden administration, and we were able to get an injunction which says that the president has to enforce federal law. Uh, that's his constitutional role, that's his constitutional duty. It doesn't seem to me that he's actually doing that. Uh, we're gonna end up in court with this um, debate and this argument to suggest that the federal government is not doing that. And I think as we go forward, you're gonna see more lawsuits from us, and we may have to revisit this precedent that the Supreme Court set in US v. Arizona, where they basically put this on the federal government. The problem with that is, if the federal government puts laws in place and then they don't enforce them, then we're stuck and we can't enforce our own laws, we can't create our own laws, then basically we have an abdication by the federal government and it sort of preempts us and moves us out of that ability to take care of ourselves. To me, that just doesn't seem right. We ought to be able to defend ourselves if the federal government refuses and actually doesn't even refuse. They actually invite the trouble into the country and we have, we, there's nothing we can do. So I feel like we're gonna be involved in numerous other lawsuits as we go forward. I'm just hoping that the federal courts are, are an aid to us as the executive branch ignores their responsibility. So, so what about wall construction? Because I, I, I don't know if people know, but the whole idea was not to build a wall from sea to shining sea. It was to build border infrastructure across the big smuggling corridors to, to really allow ICE uh, and, and CBP to focus on blocking the real high volume smuggling um, from the uh, cartels. So I know there's a GAO investigation on whether the president canceling border wall construction, which he did on day one, is legal or not. Uh, are the states taking action on that as well? Well, we haven't so far. We're, we're looking at it. There's no doubt that walls work. Uh, they worked in El Paso. Uh, El Paso used to have one of the highest crime rates in the country, and they built a wall under Bush or a fence. And it worked. Uh, the, the crime rate went down. It becomes one of those safer cities in America. We know that it works in other countries like Israel. There's no doubt that if we could put the wall or a fence somewhere along the border, places along the border where the corridor is, is most open to smuggling and to, to crime, I see no reason why we sh shouldn't continue, especially given that Congress has funded that and directed the president to continue to build that wall. I, I think there should be some eventual lawsuits involving that if the president ref continues to refuse to do his job. Yeah, and, and as I understand it, just canceling it, which I can do on day one, the people in the department tell me that the termination costs of canceling the contract are gonna be something like two or three billion dollars. So he's gonna pay two or three billion dollars not to build a wall. If he just built that two or three billion dollars of wall, he would have gotten a lot more security. No, it's, it's crazy. I think they're spending six million dollars a day to keep these contractors sitting on the ground. That's a lot of money to waste that could be going to a very good use to protecting the United States. 
And his, his answer to that is let's do social media where they're spending millions of dollars. They claim they've spent millions of dollars and reached millions of, of people that would likely come here. I don't think that works. I mean, I don't think there's any evidence that, that any of that money has been uh, used in a way that matters. It's just been a pure waste as more and more people come across the border. So Gene, let me, let me put back to you. So what are these numbers gonna look like if we just keep doing what we're doing? Well, I think uh, what we will see is we will continue to see an uptick. Um, I, I think that uh, in February, there was a spike of, of 19,000 encounters of members of family units uh, along the border. The administration has paid lip service to the fact that it's still using Title 42 for family units. We know that they're not. They're, they're, they're just simply not. And in fact, there's an Axios piece. for folks what Title 42 is. So Title 42 is an authority that the CDC has to prevent the introduction of persons into the United States if they could be carrying a communicable disease of public health significance. COVID-19 is certainly such a disease. It allows uh, in practice then for aliens who fit that profile, if they cross into the United States, to be rapidly expelled. Not everyone was rapidly expelled into Mexico. That's another uh, myth that the Biden administration has perpetuated. Some people were rapidly expelled via airplane back to their home country. Um, so it was an authority that was special. It was used for the purposes of dealing with the pandemic. The Biden administration has refused to apply it to UACs. They are refusing to apply it to family units right now, as we can see with the February numbers. And also, as I was just mentioning, there was an Axios piece uh, a few days ago that said last week, 90%, 90% of the family units encountered uh, I think it was the week between uh, March 14th and March 21st, were not expelled via Title 42, which means that all of them were caught and released into the United States. They will never be removed, they will never be deported. Um, and so what that will mean is that we will continue to see the numbers slowly tick up. They will go up, they will continue to increase, and they will not stop increasing among those demographics until something changes, until something happens and people are not able to gain access to the United States. So I'm, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you what, to just unpack for a bit, explaining to folks, what is, what is catch and release? Why did the administration stop it? And what's the impact of the Biden team reaching that? And then in the, I think we're, we're getting a little close. I wanna put out a question to the panel for everybody and just think about, I got to ask you, why is the administration doing this, and and what do you think the American people think about the policy that they're seeing now? And do they do they understand? Do they get it? What do they are they okay with it? Um, but let's, gee, let's because catch and release I think is a big part of the the lack of deterrent value of the policies. Why don't you do that first, and then I'd like to throw that question to the whole panel. Go ahead. Great. Well, catch and release uh, is it can can mean a number of things, but at its core, at its basic, is you apprehend someone or you encounter them along the border, you release them into the United States, you do not detain them, or you detain them for such an insignificant period that it doesn't matter, and you tell them to show up on a certain date in the future, uh, 60, 90 days from now, Go show up for your court hearing in this city uh, or that city, depending on where their ultimate destination is. 
they're asked to show up there to present themselves at their court hearings, to continue showing for those court hearings, and they will not be detained the entire time. Uh, it, is it a disastrous policy in terms of leading to actual uh, removals from the United States at the end of any process? Uh, we know DHS did a study that was released, I think, on uh, New Year's Eve of last year uh, that showed that 98, 99% of people who were continuously detained after their encounter at the border were ultimately removed from the United States. I, I think you can imagine what the results might be for people who were released into the United States and asked to show up for their court hearings. The left likes to talk a lot about appearance rates for court hearings and the fact that uh, people show up for their court hearings. And they'll point to a study here or a study there that tracked maybe some small pilot demographic group um, who showed up for maybe three or four court hearings in a row and then were removed from their ankle monitors and they tout that as a success. But the ultimate measure of success is not how many court hearings you showed up for, it's did you show up for your merits hearing uh, the day of uh, that the judge set it for? After that merits hearing and your claim was denied, some people's are approved, but most of them are denied. Did you actually depart the United States? Did you comply with your lawful obligation to leave? Uh, if you didn't, then what's the point of the entire process? If you're not going to affect a consequence at the end of that process, the rest of it is meaningless and it's a waste of resources. Um, so let me, first of all, I want to thank uh, all our, uh, our audience for the questions and they've been rolling in and I'm trying to get to as many of them as I possibly can, but this is a question that's come up over and over again, which is why are they doing this? And and what, you know, what do people think about this? So Congress, let me start with you and then Ken and then Dean, if you guys have, want to address that one. Well, again, why they're doing it is political power. They, they look at, at this vast new population uh, that is economically dependent, uh, uh, is uneducated, uh, and totally unattached to American principles, being a new constituency uh, for the radical left that's taken over the Democratic Party. Uh, they will put them on a path to citizenship as fast as they can. You couple that with their announced intentions of um, uh, uh, going over the filibuster and then uh, packing the Supreme Court with additional seats, packing the Senate with additional states, rigging the election laws uh, the way they have in California, uh, and keeping the borders wide open. That's game, set, and match for our country. It's, we don't like to talk about that, but that's exactly where they're going, and it's time that we, we recognize that. How far will they get right now? I think a lot of that depends upon the American people. Uh, we're seeing in the polling data a very strong shift of public sentiment away from um, a, a toleration of illegal immigration as this crisis continues to build. Uh, I firmly believe that uh, a lot of the success that Donald Trump had in uh, moving uh, ethnic minorities uh, into the Republican column was because it was America's working class families uh, who had the most to gain by, uh, by uh, slowing the influx of low wage illegal uh, labor. It was under, it was once the uh, Trump administration got control of our borders, that's when we saw blue collar wages take off for the first time in a generation. The income gap actually narrowed. We saw the strongest 
wage growth in 40 years, the lowest poverty rate in 60 years. Um, so I think, uh, in fact, if Donald Trump had just been able to channel a little of his inner Ronald Reagan, I think he would have won in a landslide. Um, uh, so I, I think that that realization is already occurring. You know, we forget that Cesar Chavez, the founder of the United Farm Workers, was in his day the most outspoken opponent of illegal immigration in the country because he recognized the threat that illegal immigration and the low-wage labor that's attached to it uh, had to his members uh, that he founded United Farm Workers to, to, to protect. Um, uh, and on top of that, as we see uh, uh, crime rates rising, uh, as we see dangerous criminal illegal aliens being released into, onto our uh, streets instead of deported, uh, as our kids start coming home and, and, and saying, yeah, the teacher had to spend all their time on the non-English speaking students, we really didn't, we really didn't get to us. Um, uh, when they uh, visit an emergency room and it's packed with illegal immigrants who are demanding care and under law, uh, they're entitled to it. Um, uh, when you start factoring all of these impacts, uh, I, I think the American people are going to, to uh, uh, respond as they always have in times of mortal peril of our, of our country. They will engage, they will rise up, and they will set things right. Attorney General. Yeah, so I don't have much different, I wish I had a different answer, but the reality is this problem that we have on our southern border has no benefit to the American people. It creates greater health risks, creates a, a, a tremendous economic cost. We have increasing crime. We lose American jobs. There's no upside to Americans in general. There are no good reasons for doing this other than for political advantage. And it seems the congressman, I think he's right. They think they're going to get votes out of this. And, and basically, the American people are expendable along the way. Um, as long as they have political power, the, the downside consequences are devastating. Some people lose family members. Um, and apparently, that's worth it to get some votes. But is there a, a connection between the process of orderly illegal immigration, um, the um, embassy bills, which essentially give people residence in the United States, and HR1, which is a federal, which would federally dictate how elections were conducted, including removing the safeguards that prevent non-resident citizens from voting in the United States? Are those, do those things add up to a concern for you? I didn't hear who you were asking the question of. Sorry, that's, that's for you, because this directly impacts on the state, because the federal yeah. government's going to tell you how to do elections. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's federalizing the elections for what purpose? To take them over, to, to put on us the, the problems that occurred in other states, uh, mail-in ballots and signature verification and drop-off boxes, and, and now you can't use uh, voter ID. It's, it's amazing that this is even being considered. It, it would do great damage to the credibility of our elections. I can't say that Venezuela would be any worse than the United States if we go down the road of HR1. It is designed to, to allow for as much voter fraud as possible so that the American people will have no idea who actually wins these elections, which is very similar to other countries that have lost credibility and that have lost real democracy. Right. And, and just to be clear, but creating a system that would allow non-resident citizens to vote in our elections and, and never get caught, never pay a price for that, hardly, that's fun, isn't it? That's very odd, and it's very sad that that's the direction of this bill, but clearly this that is the direction. 
they, they've put in this bill as many possible ways for, for uh, voter fraud to occur, including allowing people that just walk across the border to come vote. So Gene, I wanna ask you the same question. Um, why are they doing this? Uh, what do the American people think about that? And then I wanna give each of you a chance for just a quick last, for, for your last thought, what it, for you is the takeaway from this event, the takeaway for people, the, the one thing that you want folks to remember. So Gene, first let me ask you, what what's happening here? Why is this happening? Well, Jim, I think it really comes down to what I got at at the start of uh, my remarks after your first question. It's because the Biden administration has taken a radical position. It's been advanced by the radical left for a long time, and they refuse to accept things that are basic facts about illegal immigration at the border. And if you refuse to accept those basic facts, Everything else, every policy decision that you make flows from it. And so if you think that every single person coming to the United States is an asylum seeker, for example, and that they deserve to have a hearing before an immigration judge that could take years because of the number of cases that are pending, if that is your starting premise, if that is your starting position, every policy decision that you make will flow from that. Jim, I think you were the one who pointed to the fact that the Biden administration is switching to these uh, processing centers. And they're talking about building capacity to process people and to have a safe and orderly flow of immigration into the United States. That's the wrong starting premise. Your starting premise is that we are a sovereign nation that has borders. If we don't enforce those borders, we're not a nation anymore. And so I think that the American people will eventually seize on this. They'll eventually realize what's happening. I think they're starting to now, very strongly. I think what the difficulty might be is that what we have yet to see from the Biden administration is the full extent of all of their next moves. And what is going to happen next will involve a lot of hiding the ball from the American people. They are going to design programs and policies and enact them so that the American people don't see the crowding at the centers down along the border, at the border patrol stations. But that doesn't mean that there's less people coming. And that doesn't mean that they're actually removing anyone. The Biden administration has already announced that the only people that it's going to deport are spies, terrorists, and certain kinds of aggravated felons. They, they have no plan to remove anyone. They are going to find a way to hide the flow into the United States to minimize these images to the American people, and they're going to do it to try to keep the American people's attention on other things. If we can keep the focus on the undeniable fact that they have no plan to remove people from the United States after they're encountered at the border, then I think we'll succeed. So, so your takeaway is without without attention on this issue, it, it's only it's only going to get worse. So, um, Joe Paxton. So my takeaway is we can't give up. We've got to continue the fight because we can't afford to lose this fight. We have to be able to control our borders or as our other commentators have suggested, we don't have a nation. And so this is a fight that we have to find a way to win and we have to find a way to continue to fight together or we will lose our nation. I'm sorry, Congressman Well, basically same takeaway. We are, we are long past uh, the discussion over whether this is a border crisis. Uh, the, the question now is whether we have a border at all. 
And history is screaming this warning at us that the countries that either cannot or will not defend their borders simply aren't around very long. Without enforcement of our immigration laws, our borders mean nothing. If our borders mean nothing, we no longer have a country. This is a mortal peril to what Lincoln called the last best hope of mankind on this earth. And the great irony is, it is the principles of freedom that created the most prosperous, the happiest, uh, uh, and, and most just society in the history of human civilization. It is those very achievements that draw people from all over the world to want to come to our country, but opening our borders the way the Biden administration has threatens to destroy all of that. And as I said, turn us simply into a, a vast international territory between Canada and Mexico, both of which, by the way, have immigration laws that they actually enforce. You know, I think that's a great endpoint, a great takeaway. There's not a country, there's not a developed country in the modern world today that has immigration policies like this. None. No other country in the world is doing this. And uh, if you go back to the European migration crisis of just two years ago, remember that it stopped when they actually adopted policies that looked a lot more like the policies under Donald Trump. So America is going against the grain of everybody else in the world. Uh, it's a shocking, shocking reality. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I want to thank our listeners for the incredible questions and uh, thanks everyone for joining us today thank you thank you